0: Welcome to the Directors UK podcast. Today's episode comes from our Meet the BFI Film Fund event, which we held in January. Ben Roberts, Mary Beck, Matimba Kabalika discussed the fund with our film chair, Susanna White. We talked about the application do's and don'ts, the BFI network, and the fund's new representation targets. If you like what you hear, don't forget to leave us a review or subscribe to the podcast.
1: Great to see so many of you. This is, I think, the most popular event we've had in in these sessions. Um, We were turning people away, so um, I'm excited to hear myself from BFI about what they're up to. Um, So so let me introduce um, Ben Roberts, the director of BFI Film (coughs) Fund, and... um, Mary Burke, who's Senior Production and Development Executive, and Matimba Kabalika, who's the Talent Development Manager. Um, maybe you could just start out by telling us a bit about um, how you came to the BFI, what you did before, uh, what shaped you, and, um, and what your role was there. Okay, shall I start?
2: Yeah, start, yeah. Um, I have, I, I've done a number of roles, Prior to coming to the BFI, which have all been on the, of on a kind of business, business side. I started out in um, distribution, I worked uh, as an acquisitions, person at a small company. Sadly, now departed Metrodome um, for a number of years, and then I went to work at Universal, doing a sort of larger level of acquisitions for the studio. And immediately before I came to BFI, I was running uh, Protagonist Pictures, which I set up for. Film 4 and uh, Vertigo and um, Ingenious back in, I think, 2007, to be a, a kind of new sales force in the UK. And it's, um, it's, it's flourished in my departure. <laughs> so um, <laughs> i laid all the foundations, for sure. <laughs> so that that's me. And I've been at the BFI for five years.
3: So I'm probably the newest member to the um, Film Fund team. I've been at the BFI for about two years, but previous to that, I was at Warp Films for 13 years as a producer. So I worked across the entire slate, um, was on the board, but the f- films that I produced were Submarine, which actually Ben sold with me when yeah. we were at Protagonists and how we know each other, um, um, Barbarian Sound Studio, and um, some television, lots of other films. So, um, yeah, I joined the team two years ago and since then been exacting
0: the projects
3: um,
0: through the Film Fund. Um, So I came to the Film Fund about the same time as parents, more than five years, a little bit more now. Five and a bit years ago. Um, And uh, I uh, joined as Ben's assistant in 2012. Before that I worked um, in commercials and music videos, a production company called Partisan, so kind of, that was kind of straight out of uni, worked out from running all the way then decided that film was where it was at so yeah, yeah. Great, thank
1: you. that's, that's really helpful um, so Ben just for the ignorant people in the audience like me who've never actually worked with the BFI can you tell us the size of the fund um, and um, yeah, yeah a general picture of what you do okay yeah
2: so it's the first thing to say is it's it's, um, it's lottery money so it's a uh, we're, a, we're a, a lottery distributor within um, a sort of a not for profit charity organisation. Um, the, the role was previously a role that was managed at the Film Council and it came over to the BFI in around, I think, 2010, 2011. We look after <coughs> lottery funds for um, talent development, um, feature film development, um, feature film production investment, we also have lottery funds <coughs> Excuse me for audience development activities, so we support distribution of films, we have funds that uh, we invest in cultural cinema and cultural cinema programmes around the UK, film festivals, and we have an international fund as well, which um, <coughs> supports the... Sort of selling of films at international festivals, which we award to sort of sales agents and producers who are selling the rights to their films internationally, and we have some sort of larger kind of partnership funding that that we award to companies like the British Film Commission, who look after the inward investment, um, portfolio, um, creative skill set, and. Um, yeah, so that's kind of it's a it's a it's a broad range of activity. I think the you know the, the biggest focus of our activity is on uh, film work. So our investment in talent, so shorts um, through n- network and early career development, which we spend around sort of two and a half million pounds a year on sort of shorts activity, professional development programs, um, outreach programs, that kind of activity. We spend about another £2.5 million a year on feature film development, which is first features, which is now uh, everything from first features through to anything you might be um, developing. And then we have a production fund which is currently just under £16 million a year. And we've recently announced that we have a partnership with um, Doc Society, who were formerly BritDoc. Who will be managing around a million pounds of that 16 million a year to cover our documentary work (coughs) in a partnership? So those are the sort of broad numbers. I mean, team-wise, we're uh, across all of those various different kind of funding streams that I just um, described. We're we're about 25 people. Uh, The editorial group is around. of eight, eight of us um, who cover everything that comes in, and then it you know gets disseminated as we have to process it. And the final thing I would, I would say, just for those who don't sort of realise, is that we, unlike the, unlike the broadcasters, so unlike BBC Films and Film Four, we're not a commissioner, and we don't talk about ourselves as a commissioner. Um, we have um, we're an open access f- lottery fund, so. In order to um, receive funding from <coughs> us or to be considered for funding from us, you have to make an application to us through a online application process, which feels sort of horribly kind of bureaucratic and faceless. But I would say that actually my experiences is that it's it's probably better in terms of accessibility because there's a. Everyone knows where they have to go, It's the same rule applies for everybody who wants to access it. There's a set of guidelines that we publish that we work against, whereas I think the commissioners, um, who we're envious of sometimes, I suppose, in their ability to say, we like you, we'd like to work with you, can be much more um, outward-reaching in terms of the projects that they want to support, right. whereas we are much more, it's about what's coming into us. Right. So it's quite a, quite a significant distinction, actually. Yes.
1: Mary, can you tell us about the area that that
3: you look after specifically? So I work across both development and production. So I'm part of the editorial team. So when the applications come in, (coughs) I'm one of the people that reads them and looks at at them um, and kind of champions or thinks about the the projects, um, whether it's in development, it's in an early stage before script, or if it comes in for production, then looking at it um, with a view to production. Um, And my role after we make those decisions about what we want to support um will be to work creatively across both of those areas of of the filmmaking. Um, sometimes, you know, we'll convert something from something that we're developing to production, and I'll work across something from development all the way to the end of its production life. So I'll have a strong relationship with the producers and the directors um, to make sure that the films that we set out to make are the films that we've set out that we're making um, in partnership with other financiers. Um, and that's pretty much the basis of my role but I guess it's uh, uh, yeah, it, it can be it, I, I can do <clears throat> different things on different types of films. I suppose I'm more zoomed in or zoomed out depending on what th- the support that's needed for uh, individual teams.
1: Okay.
0: and Matimba, tell us av- about what you do. Um, so I look after the BFI Network and it was set up in I think, 2013 um, and it's a collaboration of national screen agencies as well as um, other cultural organisations that we partner with to do, to deliver new talent across the UK. Um, so that £2.5 million pound year pot that Ben was talking about is um, divvied up and, and basically it might look different wherever you are, but the, the general basis is that there's money for, um, to access for short, making short films, um, for development of uh, feature ideas and for ongoing <laughs> professional development. So um, we uh, run recently joined up with BAFTA and do BAFTA, uh, BFI Network by BAFTA Crew. So there's that programme that people have um, access to year round. Um, There's also uh, BFI Flare, which is a mentorship scheme, an LGBT-focused mentorship scheme um, that we partner with the festival on. We have Network at LFF, which is a professional development programme that's at the heart of the London Film Festival, and that uh, runs each year. And then we have the Network Weekender, and that's where um, each of the different partners nominate the talent that's coming through, that they're supporting, working with, who are developing first features. And we kind of have a, uh, an intense lab-style weekend where we have different speakers coming in and talking about um, different things. And that's for um, writers, producers and directors who <coughs> haven't made a first feature. So uh, I guess my job is to be the glue between um, all of that activity that's going on and the Film Fund. And we also look after the BFI Network website um, so we've got lots of content on there and it's basically just an online manifestation of all that activity um, and then we also have a portal called the Postroom where people can who are really new who might not have had any of this support and are making a first second very early short um, can get funding uh, can apply you know apply some funding yeah
3: Great.
0: Thank you. I suppose the
1: big question everyone in this room wants to answered is what are you looking for? <laughs> maybe there's a way to get some kind of handle on your taste. Uh, Are um, are there films this year that you've particularly liked? Well, I mean, I I think there's films
3: that we've worked on that we really do like. So um, if you look at the BAFTA list um, this week, we've had God's Own Country, which is a first feature by Francis Lee. Um, I'm Not a Witch, which is also um, nominated in the debut category. Uh, Kingdom of Us, which is a documentary set in Coventry about an autistic family. Um, it's on Netflix, and so you can watch it. Um, and, you know, we've supported several other films across the year that we're also really proud of, like um, Lynn Ramsey's film You Were Never Really Here, which is going to have another screening in Sundance next week. And we have three films that um, are premiering in Sundance next week. Idris Elba's um, Yardi, um, Wash Westmoreland's Colette, and... Um, uh, Jim Hoskins, I did work on this, whole. Jim Hoskins, <laughs> <laughs> An Evening with Beverly Lufflin, which is a silly comedy, but very heartfelt as well. So that's, I think it kind of shows you the sort of scope and range of the types of projects that we're looking at. The range so, of
1: material. Yeah, yeah
3: so it's not, very, it's not really taste-led. I think it's more priority-led, yeah. um, and it's not necessarily about our individual tastes. It's about the needs of the, of the individuals that apply to
0: us. So we also, are, I think people always think uh, we just had a weekend in November which actually was focused on genre because I think everyone thinks we don't like genre and I think everybody in the team, especially in editorial, talk a lot about what we went and saw at the cinema and the film that we all loved was Get Out, you know, in terms of, so I think we also love to just be completely surprised because I think people have an idea of the type of film the BFI are looking for and actually it's kind of, you want to be surprised and stuff, stuff, stuff like I'm Not a Witch and someone like Ringano, filmmaker who you know came through the network in Wales, Uh, You know that is just Mm. absolutely surprising. You know, it's it's brilliant. So I think there's that element of wanting something.
3: Yeah, because unlike the I guess unlike the broadcasters, for example, we're not feeding a brand. We're feeding a kind of cultural priority. Um, And so I feel like taste isn't really necessarily like the films that you I would want to produce as a producer are necessarily influencing the choices that I make editorially within within the team.
2: Right. yeah, yeah. To your point it changes the it changes the nature of what we do. But what what we did realise um, last year, I think, was that if you were someone going to our application system for the first time, <clears throat> you to answer your it would be you wouldn't know. It would it felt like a bit of a dark art. I mean, you could look at what we had funded and, and make some assumptions about what we might what might seem like taste, but we had never listed out what. Might be a set of funding priorities before. So, we put into our guidelines when we republished them on the other side of our sort of strategy launch late last year the kind of the pillars of our kind of funding priorities, which kind of match up with what we believe to be the right kind of priorities for a lottery distributor who's giving out money that has to have an element of additionality. And you know good 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 cause, however, that's interpreted because I think historically the you know the 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 premier fund and new cinema fund that are kind of the lottery funds were quite understandably sort of seen as just another sort of public subsidy that would sit alongside in a few lucky cases alongside the tax credit, but it's such a proportionally sort of small fund that you have to establish certain funding priorities for them. So we have we've, we've put them in our guidelines I mean, we've listed them out. They are areas where we think there is risk and where the market is not going to
3: mm.
2: willingly throw money at productions in particular. So, you know, early early career which can frustrate middle or later career filmmakers but is an is an obvious kind of risk area because there's no demonstrable existing work or not necessarily sufficient, demonstrable existing work for other financiers. So early, early career is a focus yeah, for okay. us. Um, diversity and inclusion is a focus for us. Um, filmmakers outside London and the Southeast is um, an area that we sort of state as a funding priority. And then, you know, projects that are aiming for some kind of form of envelope pushing In terms of the narrative, what they're saying—you know—are they progressive in terms of their kind of ideas, and uh, or either either what they're saying or how they're saying them, what the form of what the kind of form of filmmaking is—is there something stylistically that feels inherently risky? And I don't—when when I say risky, I don't want that to suggest that everything we're doing is therefore sort of tiny. I mean, there's risk in. Very big films, you know. There is, there has been for a long time. Hopefully, not no longer, or not for too much longer. But there was always an inherent risk in films made by and about women, for example, in other financiers' minds, or in areas relating to, um, you know, films dealing, you know, made for and about and by um, BAME filmmakers, for example. So they can be any size, and we want them to be any size, but what we have to identify is an, a sort of justifiable element of risk and need, if you like, and those seem to be the areas where they, they Well
1: That was a pretty diverse list of talent you gave there. Are mm-hmm. you looking for strong individual voices, would you say, or is it? Out,
2: yeah. out of that, there's a sort of cliched phrase which seems right. to have bold and distinctive. Yeah, bold and distinctive.
3: Yeah. And distinctive.
2: Um, <laughs> but I think we, yeah. yeah. go on. Well, we 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 are quite n- rightly because um, beyond what our kind of funding priorities might be, I think if you look at where success is lying in a very very kind of crowded release calendar. Um, Success is popping in the indifference in work mm. because I think when you've got 800 films a year being released and the studio releases naturally kind of dominate the marketplace, um, what is going to stick out? It's going yeah. to be something that makes a noise, attracts a kind of critical, critical attention, um, excites. I've noticed that even when we have films that are bold and distinctive, that marketeers, the people who are marketing the films then are excited by them and seem to go above and beyond in terms of the kind of materials they create and then they just sort of pop mm-hmm. a bit more. So there's a, there's a sort of, we think now, quite a commercial imperative to that, to mm. sort of sticking out as much as you possibly can. Mm,
3: I agree with that.
1: Okay, so so going back to basics, what <coughs> happens to a funding application once it's it's been submitted? What, what's your process after you've filled in that online form?
3: So when something comes in for development, it will, it will be an application form that will ask questions like, what have you done before? Um, do you have any sort of writing samples if it's a, a writer, a producer making application for a writer or a writer director? Um, and then it will there will be a synopsis and a kind of um, an intention, like, do you want to do one draft, two drafts? What are you, what are you looking for? Are you looking for some late-stage development funding to do some casting or um, budget and scheduling? You know, it really just depends on what you're asking for. But if it were uh, two versions of this, uh two drafts of the script, then um, the team would collectively look at the development team would uh, collectively look at the application and then um, make a decision against our our priorities about whether or not it's something we are likely to support. And then we would meet with the teams and talk to them about what um, their approach to the material will be, um, why it's important to them, how it kind of captures their voice, all of the things you would expect from, from uh, that kind of meeting. And then it's pretty pretty straightforward from there. We, you know, we would work with you across the, across the, um, if you know, if you are granted the, the um, support, then we would work with you across the drafts and give you notes and talk to you about, you know, um, making the script uh, as good as it can be. For the the intention that you set out um, on the production side, which is a separate application, it doesn't necessarily mean just because you've got development funding that you then automatically get production funding. If you apply for production, um, it's sort of the process that Ben was outlining earlier. you know the, the application will come in for production. same basic information, but we would have an expectation that there would be be a writer and a director attached at that stage and maybe a sense of who you think indicative cast would be for the for the project though our though our funding isn't um, caste-dependent. Um, and then we would look for a budget to be in place, and, a, and we really care about having a finance plan in, in place so that we have an understanding of, of the additionality of our, of our money, but also who the partners would be, because we can't fully finance any projects. And then we take all that information into account, which is a lot of stuff we appreciate, um, and we discuss it in the editorial team, and again, look at it against our cultural priorities and kind of make decisions on that basis. Um, and then if you were to receive the financing, then again, we one of us, whether it's me, Lizzie or Natasha, who are my colleagues that do the same uh, role as me, will work across the production with um, our head of production, Fiona Morham, to kind of, uh, you know, help you realise the project um, and support you as a financier.
2: So. So, um, I mean, the process is quite well, I mean, it's quite a mechanical process, there's, there's quite a lot of process, um, but it 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 works quite kind of rhythmically now. There's weekly meet, you know, everything's done in weekly meetings. Um, it's very kind of tied into the production, finance, and business affairs team. So, and also we are bound to certain lottery expectations as well around sort of turnaround times. So, you know, there's a the, it's all listed out in our guidelines. Quite what the kind of steps of the process are, but we're expected to respond to applications within a certain amount of time. Um, There's another kind of the clock then starts ticking again Mm -hmm. every time we sort of require some more information, and there's sort of a there's a process. It can take um, you know twelve a minimum of twelve weeks to go from an an application um, into you know an indication of support, We can concertina that process where there are some kind of time pressures, and we try and be very sympathetic to that. Um, but it, we we state all our kind of d- b- b- markers in the in the guidelines.
1: Is there? I mean, it's impossible. I'm sure to discover an ideal application. But are there pitfall
2: Obvious pitfalls one can avoid. <laughs> yeah. Um, length can be a problem, right. I mean you can get very, like, it's, it's actually a really good point because obviously what we're describing is our first experience of a project, because it's a bureaucracy, is a piece of paper with some information on it, so never f- underestimate, and as directors um, obviously a key thing to say is that forms are submitted by producers, right. the production company puts in the form but one would hope that it is done in uh, collaboration with uh, directors on productions, mm. where, there is, uh, where there needs to be a director attached. Um, so there's is for kind of vision statements and the sort of general pitch. <clears throat> we are, you know, we're all human, so if you're dealing with 15 s- uh, paper applications in a week, um, what's written on paper and how pithily it's written and how sort of striking that pitch is, Um, will definitely make a difference in terms of how much it kind of captures your attention. So I'd say strong, pithy pitching is great. Um, Realism is good. I don't mean social realism. I mean reality (laughs) in terms of um, it's not unusual to get applications. that. I mean, when Mary says we need a finance plan, what we need is a sort of sense of a viable finance plan. So it's so understanding kind of viability um, and, and, and giving us a sense that you absolutely know what you want to make and how you're going to make it, even if that isn't ultimately the way you do make it, but there's a kind of control of the process becomes really important. We, um, you know, we do get applications where um, someone's asking us for all the money to make their film. Um, hasn't mentioned a tax credit in the finance plan, Um, you know, basic things that just give you clues that, I mean, that's a producer's job, it's not typically a director's job but um, they give you clues that the team knows what they're doing and that's particularly helpful for Mm -hmm. us, for the teams that we have had no prior um, relationship with that, you know, which is many, um, that there's a kind of firm kind of control of the project.
3: I think you need to make the assumption that we don't know who you are because we have such a range of people reading the applications from, you know, the age of 25 to 65 that, you know, some of us will know who you, the, the work that you've made and some of us just won't. So if you don't somehow sell yourself <coughs> and the, your previous work with either, you know, a link that tells us go here and you can see what I've done before or whatever, then I think it's harder for us to make the, the leap across to understanding how you're going to apply your vision to a particular pitch so I think making make the assumption we don't know we don't know who you are
0: even if but also stuff like having (laughs) as you say links to work and I think now that you have to in the form and visual because I mean before there would be loads of stuff where people would say I've done this and this and there would be no way to like access it and obviously you want to do that it's because it's a precursor to then us requesting further material as much as we love forms we love seeing visual stuff so anything visual, I think
2: and direct us to the work that matters for the application that's being made. We don't need an IMDb page. What the you know? Uh, uh, I mean, we, that's helpful, but uh, uh, make the because one of the things that we're trying to do is obviously make a connection between the project that's been submitted for an investment and the existing kind of work and experience mm-hmm. of the filmmaker now. There are some pieces of work that are going to more naturally sort of speak to that project and that will help us make
3: yeah. sense
2: of the relationship between the filmmakers and the work that we're being asked to support.
3: And I think that for the director's statements, which is a section within the, within the application, I always read them very carefully because I really want to know why it, this film is important to you yeah. and why you care about making this particular film now and why it's relevant and I, I do think it's important to just be like sort of personal and honest in that part of the okay. application because if, I, if we don't know you and we've never met you then it kind of gives you a sort of window to the soul without sounding like too much of a hippie but you know what I mean, to really understand why it is you want, to, you want us to work with you on this film I suppose.
1: And are there stories, types of stories you get too many of, and types that you don't get enough of? <coughs> or don't you look at it like that? Are you just looking for that thing that pings?
2: Too many of. I don't think thinking. we actually do. I think it would be o- obvious to say we get lots of one type or another. I think actually we get. You know, there are still. You no, know, God's Own Country is a good example. I mean, that's a. It's not a. It's kind of a rites of passage. Film mm-hmm. in a way, it's a sort of it's a it's a kind of coming of age <coughs> story. But it's. Um, but what was very appealing about that. Of material was that it took the kind of the gay, ex- you know, the gay rights of passage experience and put it into a kind of optimistic place. And there was a sort of honesty, and a sort of, uh, there was an honesty in the kind of the, the writing and the experience that we could sort of relate back to the writer and director. So you could, s- there would be lots of versions of that story that would feel quite done, mm. but that one popped. Um, to Matimba's point, we don't see, I think, enough um, sort of layered, layered genre material, you know, mm. material, genre material that has more than an A plot, if you like, that's, that's mm. more than just this has got to happen to this to get to here, that, 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 that sort of speaks to it. I think one of the reasons we probably don't do much genre material is because what we're looking for is the kind of the thematics and the kind of the the you know mm-hmm. the the, the why, why this film why now, the yeah. the relevance of it which the reason everyone loves um, Get Out I think is because it's a film that has uh, works on an A level in terms of it's a thrilling cinema experience, but it's satisfying in terms of what it's lenses, mm-hmm. and I think we sometimes don't see that the lens. If you like as much as we do, someone writing a good old kind of yarn. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd, I'd say you know that type of sort of socially, soci- socially responsible genre material that's going to yeah. read really badly. Too late, you know, is interesting to us.
1: Okay, so so if a director is lucky enough to get. PFI funding. Tell us what support they get
3: with the project. Um, so, I mean, our relationship is first and foremost with the producer because that's our sort of. Oh, hello. <laughs> <laughs> calling deal or no deal. <laughs> 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 um, <laughs> um, so, what is your sorry? Is that no, no, it's what support. what support? Oh, does what kind the of support do they get? So, you know, we work with the producers to to kind of translate the vision to us in, in a way. It doesn't mean that we don't sit down with the directors and go across you know what their vision is for the for the project. It, I just mean like on a day-to-day basis we work with the producers to make sure that they are supporting the director if that makes sense um, so that they don't feel I guess so that we don't feel like we're overreaching into a creative space so that you know the directors are feeling as if um, you know that we're execing in a studio sense. It's more that we're, we're helping them uh, with creative collaboration. So looking for, um, you know, we will have a, quote, approvals on heads of departments, but that might just mean that we don't, a particular director doesn't have all of his or her team. So they're looking for an editor or looking for, for um, a, a DP and we will uh, you know sh- recommend lists and lists of different types of people that we feel will fit the, the idea or fit the kind of feeling of what the director is trying to achieve. Um, we will we'll work across the budget to kind of make sure that it's enough, if you like, to support the different elements within the production, so that the vision can be realized. Um, and I think that is really important because, you know, any idea can be realized at any budget. It just depends on, you know, what the multiple choice um, kind of decisions are made within the team to to get to the best creative ending, I suppose, if you know what I mean. I feel like that we do a lot of that type of work where we're looking at the budget and how that how that supports the vision of the director. Um,
2: I think we also are, see ourselves as sort of custodians of the vision of the project, if you like, particularly where there are multiple financiers and forces mm. in it. Mm. We have a, we have the luxury, I mean, we're very lucky because our role, if you like, is to make investments into films that don't really have a commercial um, imperative. And so we can be the filmmakers' friends in that sense that we can protect. Once My view is, once it's all our views. is once we've invested in a film, we've made a very rare positive decision to support a project. You know, it's it's somewhere between 5 and 10% of all of the production applications mm. that we receive get a positive decision because we receive so many and our fund is... You know, a a large one, but still limited. So once we're making a positive decision, we're kind of all in, and there's no reason at that stage to be anything other than a kind of constructive um, champion of the project and a critical friend where we need to be. So, you know, if you're (coughs) if you're in receipt of an award from us, and you're you look at the production finance agreements, you will see things like conversation around who's on final cut panels and stuff like that where they apply I mean I always when it becomes a kind of concern to a filmmaker try to kind of express that uh, A is something that we've never where we've had a right sort of asserted over a filmmaker against their wishes but can actually be quite useful to have someone on your final cut panel where there is final cut panels who is likely to be your you know the champion of the individual voice Mm -hmm. as opposed to quite rightly, I guess, financiers who have other commercial concerns. So um, it can be, and you should always be, if we're doing our job right, a very sort of supportive role. But as Mary says, there's always a risk for people like us in our jobs that you don't feel like you're overstepping your roles. So obviously, some filmmakers want very little from us. <coughs> hmm. Um, and some, I hope, (coughs) like to have quite a lot more. Mm. Particularly Mm. if we're the majority financier on a debut, that relationship tends to be much more direct. Mm
3: -hmm. Yeah, I mean, we can also be quite zoomed out as well and very hands-off. But I think, you know, we really are led by what the teams need Um, and a lot of the time it is creative support. It is being that sounding board across the script and the edit um, and being there and all of that, all of the um, screenings to kind of l- sort of reflect back what we're seeing, so that they know that they're not making a film in a vacuum. Um, and I think that, well, at least my approach, I suppose, is to be supportive in that space. And you know, there'll always be other financiers, and we, I think, it is important to us that the films are successful as well. We're not blind to that. Um, it's not like we have, we know we're in a luxurious position that we want to have, you know, unnamed casts who are the best people for the roles, etc but some, we know that there is a consequence to that commercially, um, so there is a balancing act there. Uh, but it is, about being, it is about being supportive to the vision of the film, and um, sometimes that means just holding up your hand and saying, I'm not sure if that exactly um, is what you intended or it's not coming across as how you intended, as a, as a measure of support rather than as one of conflict. So I think that's how, that's how I
0: see it, at least. <laughs> Sounds the <good>. director's <laughs> friend. Yeah.
1: Um, Mitimba,
0: tell us a bit more about the network and um, how it works. So, um, it's, it's, it's nothing that you have to... how of, do you get to be part yeah, of Yeah, I was going to say, it's nothing <laughs> that you have to officially kind of join as such. Um, I think, I'm sure lots of people have probably come across or applied to a scheme somewhere like Film London, so something like London Calling or London Calling Plus, that, is un- that comes under the network banner, for example. Or if you had made a short um, through Creative England, um, or gone on any of those kind of professional development schemes that offer offered all, you know, Northern Ireland Screen, uh, Film Cymru Wells, et etc. et cetera. So it's not so much a kind of a club that you join. Um, and I think there are lots of... It's, it's kind of the... I like to see it as... or I think we like to see it as the the first channel of how you would engage with the, with the BFI Film Fund. Um, it just might come through different, you know, different... Tentacles, so to speak. Um, so I think a lot. Some people kind of go, "Oh, I applied for the thing at Film London, so now you know." How do I join the network? It's like you know, you know, you're kind of once you've been through one of those schemes that we have supported, then you're kind of in the under the umbrella, so to speak. Um, and there are lots of other stuff that we do. So we partner with the British Council on the short support scheme that helps filmmakers get to festivals. Once your short film is has been selected into a festival so there are lots of different kind of avenues that I think um, would be a way in Um, and obviously come April in terms of all the reshaping stuff that's happening um, uh, we are moving with our main partnership with Creative England to working with lots of cultural organisations across England Um, and we're going to have five five five, six six, sorry it's Christmas um, six talent executives um in 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 those hubs and that and that will be the new access point for new new talent so because i think kind of recognized that it had gone from us to creative england and thought actually what you what you need is more people actually in in more access so hopefully come april that will that will create a lot more of that and that's really exciting having people in organisations that are kind of, have got other filmmaking stuff going on as well, so it feels like it's not just applying to a scheme and then, as Ben says, being unsuccessful and then feeling kind of tossed to the wind, we're hoping that it will encourage um, more dialogue and it will be around you know, film culture as well as you know, watching films, making films, etc.
2: It's also it's quite good for us because we are, you know, I've d- described quite a sort of locked Open access funding process at the film fund directly, where we're sort of bound by the way we can sort of communicate or express what we want is through what we put into guidelines and what we fund, whereas at the network level there's much more opportunity to kind of be out and out you know reach out and and sort of encourage filmmakers at that very early point um, to have a go and sort of engage with us more and we can design. Quite sort of nimble, short programs that talk about what we're interested in in terms of uh, genre or diversity or what have you. So it's uh, it allows us to be a little bit kind of freer in our sort of communication with filmmakers than perhaps we can be at the more kind of formal. Mm.
0: And also, it means that it's not the you know some, the first engagement isn't a, a no to an application. You know, it it might be that. You know, there are lots of people who we might not have funded through the network who come to a lot of professional development events or not, and stuff that we try and put on, and you know, so it's kind of trying to get people, I think, familiar with how we work and all that kind of stuff before it might be so that it feels a little bit more like there's a yeah. holistic a, channel, a runway, a runway. In, a
3: runway into, but I think what also is brilliant about the the network program is that not only does it expose new talent to the BFI. Uh, not commissioners, but um, people, me and Ben, etc. But also the other um, commissioners like Film Four and BBC come to these network events and meet the new directors. And I think if you kind of feel like you're out in the world and don't know anyone, coming to these events or
0: being part of the, the website yeah. really does expose you to all execs across the whole country. And I think that's the luxury of, I guess, my role in that. It's not, you know, we're not building a brand. It's kind of for us, it's being able to champion filmmakers to whether it's you know, different festivals who will come and say, you know, who are the people that might be coming through labs and stuff like that. So it's really trying to, so when we work with people like BAFTA, like British Council, it's kind of how can we help filmmakers because we realise that we're not the only port of call. So it's kind of like how can you give yeah. a platform to filmmakers? So it's, it's, it's about that rather than us being the people who have to help make, you know, someone's short or whatever.
1: Yeah, no, that's great, isn't it? Because it's a bit off-putting how do I get to be part of the 5%, Yeah. But. There's a big entry channel there to help, yeah. Speaking of diversity, brings us neatly onto the policy changes. I mean, a lot of people here are very interested in all the diversity conversations. Um, Can you talk about the changes to the fund which were announced back in the autumn and, and what that's gonna mean?
2: Yes, okay. So we are a, you know, we're a film funder. So the first question was what do we mean by uh, who who are we talking to when when we're talking about film? Because there's a there's a, um, there's a, obviously an understood length of film, and we uh, certainly in production fund terms have always <coughs> been limited to funding f- feature length f- films intended for a theatrical release. <coughs> I think that in our we went through a consultation process t- um, in. T- uh, 2017, sort of earlier in 16, actually, um, where we were talking to filmmakers about what worked, about our kind of funding processes and what's happening in the world, where are people watching films, are they watching films at all, um, are they watching other stuff, and how do we stay kind of relevant and um, kind of versatile in our approach. It seemed to us that we were probably, our guidelines were a bit too restrictive. So they were very limited to, is your film intended for a theatrical release? And is it feature length? Which is, you know, our bread and butter, and probably always will be, because that's the business we're in, and it's, you know, we all love cinema. Um, But actually quite relevant to the conversations around sort of diversity and inclusion, in a sort of slightly kind of tangential way, because there are obviously filmmakers and audiences for whom that experience of a theatrically released feature-length film is not necessarily their kind of primary um, film experience in terms of whether they're watching or making. You know, there's lots of talented writers, directors, uh, performers who are expressing themselves through film in shorter form content on different platforms in an episodic fashion in you know ways that we were frustrated by not being able to support so probably as it relates to why is the industry not diversifying well it's never going to diversify if the kind of gatekeepers of public money are saying you've got to already have sort of hit this bar of being someone who can demonstrably work in a kind of feature length form in cinemas so we plus there are you know some technology based um, you know emerging f- you know forms and formats uh, which we were very conscious that we were not engaged with um, so f- without going down a rabbit hole and we deliberately haven't been prescriptive in our guidelines, but you know work uh, on in uh, VR or other kind of immersive work or other interactive work that we didn't want to kind of suddenly switch ourselves into some kind of mad, let's try everything and end up doing nothing crazy fund, but we (laughs) wanted to kind of recognise that if we just took some of the restrictions out of our guidelines it would allow certain work to kind of push its way in. Um, And also on a much more basic level, we have to be realistic and accept that there are films being made where their, ho- their natural home might be a platform. So the notion of us saying you've got to be a theatrically, intended to be a theatrically released film was f- just feeling a bit Luddite. So what we've done in our guidelines, first and foremost, is we've we've stripped out language. It was a very painful process. It was, it was like, Mary oh, would throw know. her head on the table <laughs> several times. Where we went through line by line through our guidelines and just said, where are we putting barriers up where they don't need to be? We took them all out. So there was some, you know, there was some, there was some stuff there which we talked about during the LFF last year, which which just makes us a, f- a more flexible fund, I think. So technically now, if your work is a single project over 60 minutes, um, then beyond that, we can fund it. So there are some limitations to that, in in that as a lottery distributor, what we're not allowed to do is um, fund uh, broadcast television. But if a piece of work came to us that was ten hours long and naturally kind of chapterized itself into hours and became something like Making a Murderer, for example, then to me that's a remarkable piece of filmmaking in the same way that O J Made in America is a remarkable sort of eight hour film and don't we all want to see more of that? And who is going who in the UK outside of the kind of broadcast commissioners is is making is kind of taking chances and and kind of big risks on completely untested um, filmmakers in that space. So I think we feel comfortable that that can be part of our job. If it looks like a film and smells like a film, um, and we can justifiably say it's filmmaking, then we want to be able to support it. And I think we think. That will help us in our ambitions around diversity and inclusion, because that's a very inclusive approach without sort of talking about gender or ethnicity um to just kind of say we can work with you even if your ambitions are different on top of that, just to sort of talk more specifically about diversity and inclusion we um we f- we wanted to i think I think we sort of have been Sort of doing better than most on areas around sort of diversity in our sort of in a statistical sense, but um, there seem no reason why we wouldn't actually put some targets to that um, because that will help us. I think where we're, for example, in gender parity. Coming in sort of under the wire at sort of 35, 40% at the end of a year in a good year, I think having some targets will just mean that we kind of are very conscious of going the extra distance and kind of pushing that to get to parity. Um, So we introduced um, targets for our funding across writers, directors, and producers, across our talent development, development, and production funds for gender ethnicity, um, LGBT filmmakers and filmmakers with disabilities and they're written down but they're 50-50 gender uh, parity, um, 20% on um, BAME filmmakers, 9% are LGBT filmmakers and 7% for filmmakers with disabilities. Which I think is not going to be easy in some of those areas but I think it's also fine and they're not, they're not quotas, so we're not ring-fencing funds for them um, because we're cutting them across writers, directors, producers and across all of the, each of those kind of strands, that's quite a complex set of targets to achieve, but I think it's f- quite right that as a public funder we should have targets and they should be published and if we fall short of them we'll be accountable for that and we'll be able to talk about why. Hopefully. Um, the one other thing I should say is that we did introduce, having said we can't fully finance, we did introduce, um, because we are going to send, inv- you know, invite people to come in with projects which are, that feel very unfundable, um, we did introduce um, the ability for us to fully finance um, sort of low budget work. And uh, sort of 800 grand. Can't remember where we settled. In sort of 750, 750,000 pounds, in the event that no other finance is forthcoming. And the reason we wanted to do that is because we think that we we were finding ourselves in situations where we were identifying projects that excited us, and we were making a commitment on paper to them <clears throat> that were in this range, often debuts um, at that budget level. And then we were sending them off on a slightly uh, thankless journey of trying to raise other kind of commercial investment, which then kind of 12 months later came back to us fruitless. So uh, by which point, you know, that's a year of someone's life um, and costs and you may have lost certain elements that would have made your projects very viable. So we, we've given ourselves the ability to, if you like, guarantee a production at that level can start, and then we absolutely encourage everyone to kind of go out and try and raise other parts of their finance, but at least you know that you can start <laughs> in the absence of any of the money. Fantastic.
1: Um, tell us about the documentary fund as well. well that's now... yeah. It's gone to the Documentary Society, has it? What does that mean? I don't
2: know
3: about it. Yeah, I don't
2: know about it. Sorry if (laughs) I'm rambling. The logic was, because we're going to do all this stuff, and because we have a focus on talent, emerging talent, early career, projects that are probably going to require more of the zoomed in than the zoomed out from us than perhaps they had historically, you know, we're not just a kind of grant-giving organisation. We can't grow the team because we're beholden to certain uh, fair enough limitations on overhead. So in order to kind of be able to kind of still provide a good quality of service and respond to everyone in time, is there something that other people could do as well as us, if not better? documentary is is something which um, i think has been slightly sort of underpowered in terms of support from the from the uk in the la- british documentary in the last few years doc society along with a number of other partners we went out to an open uh, potential partners we went out to an open tender have been very focused on that work um, and it felt like something that we would feel very comfortable delegating the kind of lottery role to another partner. So they, but they we went to an open tender process, we had a number of applications. Um, we decided to make the, um, the award, the delegation to Doc Society and they will basically act as us. So they will stand in our shoes as a lottery distributor. Um, and make decisions according to a kind of shared set of principles and targets um, and we are just in the process of um, papering the delegation and we are hoping that Doc Society will be able to open the f- their fund um, within the next c- couple of months max. They're very, they you know they're they're raring to go. It's our processes that are deliberate. Um, so I think it's I think it's really good. I think it's really good news. It's definitely not a we don't care about docs. If anything, it's a saying we know that it's there is there is some specialism there, and we don't have to do everything ourselves. And they're very good, and they're doing it, and let them do it.
1: Finally. What does success look like for the fund? What would what do, what do you measure your success by?
3: I think, well, there's many ways to measure success. Obviously, the obvious ways, which you know, awards ceremonies, etc., the way you probably measure success yourself. But I guess, I guess, uh, what's particular to our fund is that if you make a film and it's really successful. Um, and you go off and you never need our money again, that's actually yeah. <laughs> quite quite a good thing. Not because we don't want to give it to you, but because it means that you've attracted the attention of other financiers and you've made yourself a su- uh, you know, success in their eyes too. Yeah,
1: I think, that, I think that's... Built-in obsolescence, very good. Built-in obsolescence. I think
2: that's definitely a, a number one, is if you see someone go on to have kind of commercial success that needed the platform. Um, <clears throat> I think... It's always great when films sort of hit a kind of uh, an agenda or a kind of cultural discourse or a mm. national discourse. Or if you, you know, when a film like I, Daniel Blake, is being talked about in Prime Minister's Questions yeah. time, three times. Or, you know, you read about films. That if, I don't know what it looks like. If my mum's heard of it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because it's, that generally means that it's somehow kind of penetrated a wider yeah. kind of consciousness. Uh, that's always good. Yeah, Quite.
1: great. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. I've learned a lot. I'm sure <laughs> everybody else has too. <laughs> thank, thank, thank you for coming. Thank you. Very much.
0: This podcast was recorded from an event as part of the Directors UK programme. Directors UK is the professional association of all screen directors. We now have over 6,000 members and our work involves campaigning, lobbying and supporting the craft of directing in the UK. To find out more, please visit www.directors.uk.com.